Hello and welcome to 73 and Sunny, the podcast about the journey of getting things just right. We talk to tech, sales, and marketing leaders about how they are growing, dialing in best practices, and getting closer to that sweet spot. This episode, we are lucky to have a true expert in the consumer engagement world, creator of the website TCPA World, and known as the in the performance marketing world as the TCPA czar, Eric Troutman. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, in, in our world, everybody knows who you are and, and probably has seen you speak and hopefully follows TCPA World. There's a ton of great uh, articles and great information there. We appreciate what you do for the community and, and glad to have you on. First, we don't, we don't get to hear a lot about your background. Can you tell us about how you became the TCPA czar? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I've done nothing, of course, but TCPA defense and, and, and compliance work and, and advocacy work uh, since 2010. So for 14 years, I, I've done nothing but this. Um, I've been lead counsel in, in more nationwide class actions than any other human being alive, at least under the TCPA, uh, and help you know the biggest companies in the world to get their enterprise TCPA compliance in order, and, and some of the smaller companies as well. Um, advocated to Congress, advocated to the FCC. I just, you know, have a kind of a 360 degree practice here. Uh, so, so people have kind of gravitated toward, you know, recognizing me as a little bit more than just your standard TCPA attorney. Uh, and I would say probably back in 2015, uh, 2016, people first started kind of referring to me in passing as the czar. Uh, there was a, a guy, a partner at, at Dorsey and Whitney, which was a big law firm where I was the managing partner of the office for a while. And he used to come into my office every day and say, there he goes, the czar. Um, and, you know, it was kind of funny at first, but, you know, he kept saying it and it kind of stuck. Uh, and at some point I realized, you know, this is a good branding opportunity. Uh, no matter how, how good you are, no matter how many times people hear your, the name Eric J. Troutman, yeah, maybe you'll remember that, but you're definitely going to remember the czar. You're going to remember that. Uh, and so we leaned into it, kind of adopted that moniker full, you know, pretty fully uh, back in 2019. Uh, and then we built out the entire royal court, Queenie, of course, at my side. And then we've got the Baroness and the Countess and the Duchess and the Dame. Uh, and people really like it. It's it's something that people can catch on to uh, and, and enjoy and kind of, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of funny. But on the other hand, it's very catchy and, and, and really easy for people to, to grab on to. So here we are. Well, what drew you to the TCA, TCPA uh list of regulations in the first place? What, what, how did you get into that? It's a great question. Um, so I was a trial lawyer. That won't surprise you. Uh, I, I've tried a bunch of jury trials and I thought that's what I was going to do with my career. I, I really love trying cases. Uh, and I remember it was back in, I want to say 2008, uh, I did a, a series of fraud trials for Wells Fargo against the Armenian mafia in Glendale. Uh, and one of the, the in-house lawyers flies out and watches me try the cases and she, and we got to be kind of good friends. Uh, and a couple of months later, she gives me a call and she's like, hey, Eric, I've got this uh, this TCPA class action uh, I'd like you to handle for us. And I'm like, hey, you know, I don't do class litigation. I've never heard of the TCPA. You know, I'm just your humble trial lawyer. And she was like, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. Uh, and so I start looking at the law and I'll be honest with you, like this is a stunning statute, right? It's $500 per call. Class action exposure can be billions of dollars. You've got a four year statute of limitations. When you start looking at the law, it was never intended to be like this. So it was actually expanded after the fact by the FCC and the courts, tons of constitutional issues, and then it moves so fast, right? You've got 
so many lawyers that are filing these cases, so many different judges all across the nation issuing different rulings, interpreting the, the statute in different ways. So it's this massive patchwork uh, of you know very, very complex area of law that moves incredibly quickly with billions of dollars on the line impacting free speech. Man, this is the sexiest area of law that there is, right? And so very quickly I realized, wow, man, if you want high stakes poker, and I like that, and you want to be in a very complex area, you want to be mentally challenged day in, day out, like there's nothing better than the TCPA. Now, that's good news for me, right, as an attorney that likes to be challenged. It's bad news, obviously, for business who's thinking, like, I just want to make phone calls. Like, why do I have to have a, a super genius like Troutman on my team in order to just make a couple phone calls? And the truth is, it's just a very challenging regulatory environment because really there's so little that's clear. And so what you're trying to do is just navigate the different viewpoints and philosophies of all the different judges that have looked at this and try to come to the safest lane, recognizing that you can never really get to 100% in most of these instances. That's pretty scary. And is there someone out there, is there a TCPA emperor somewhere that's fighting you for airtime? Are you, is this your, do you, is, is this a crowded space in the legal world? Uh, from a plaintiff's perspective, there's a lot of very, very powerful lawyers out there. This is like, sure. you know, they're the biggest sharks out there, they're the best fed, they're all multimillionaires, and, and they are very aggressive, very knowledgeable. On the defense side, there's a couple, there's nobody at my level. Like it is, it, I, you know, it's, it's a tier of one, and, and that's our firm. Um, but below us, there's, there's a handful of lawyers that take it very, very seriously. They, they, they've dedicated their careers to it as well. They haven't you know, read every single case and blogged every single case and, and graced the stages you know, all across the nation the way I do. Uh, but they take it seriously, and, and they've got teams, and they're built out, and they're capable. Um, and, but there's really only like three or four of them, to be honest. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then below that, you've got your typical big law pretenders. Right? You've got all these big law firms. And they're like, yeah, we know how to do it. And they've handled like three or four of them and they're really bad at it. And they charge their clients hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend it. And then they screw it up. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, I mean, it's, it's just part of the gig and they exist in the ecosystem, the big law model. That's just the way it is, right? You know, one guy and then they sell you to work with their partner so they can get some of the money that you spend with them. It's, it's garbage, but that's the way it works. Um, but there they are a couple up, other good ones. They end up reading your blog. <laughs> oh, their, oh, yeah. I, I, Half the Amlaw 100 follows my blog, yeah. and that's okay. I mean, it's I mean, as you know, it's free. There's no barriers. There's no boundaries. Yeah. I don't. I, I never out anybody, right? If you're at, you know, TCPA shop, you can read. You know, if you're a plaintiff or a defendant, you can read it. If you're at an Amlaw 100 law firm, the biggest law firms in the world, I've got five or six people at each of these law firms that follow my blog, and that's fine. I, I never out them. I never say, you know, he he he. They have to learn from me. That's fine. I, I think it's a good thing. So. Transitioning to the new FCC ruling, there's been a ton of content. You did a great podcast uh, covering it already and, and, and a lot of great blogs. Again, it's TCPA World. Check it out. Anything, any questions that you have about TCPA rulings in the past, it's a great resource. Um, there's, so there's been a lot of coverage. But for those who don't know what it is, who are tuning in now, uh, can you briefly summarize the FCC's crackdown on, on lead generators uh, closing the lead generator loophole? Yeah. So, you know, before this ruling came out, I mean, hopefully everyone knows, right, the, the lead generation world was kind of running amok a little bit. Now, they don't like to say that, uh, but you would have folks that are, they have their websites, right? They'd have marketing partners lists that would have thousands of people on the marketing partner list. And, and you know, it might be a website about lending, but then you would try to sell them solar or you try to sell them something else and these leads would get sold. And they get sold without tracking, right? You'd, you'd sell, you know, people would sell a lead. 
five times, 10 times, 100 times. They'd sell them fresh. They'd sell them aged. Um, a lead would get sold to aggregators and they'd resell them. And you know, one lead might end up getting sold 100 times as it goes through all the different networks and affiliates. It was terrible. I mean, it's just, it's just a terrible situation. There was no standards. Um, so, but even before really the FCC got involved, of course, we, we created REACH, which is Responsible Enterprises Against Consumer Harassment, um, to try to clean up all of this madness because it's just it was just a wild wild west out there and, and consumers were getting just hammered by unwanted robocalls um so reach had its set of standards but at the same time the fcc kind of came over the top and it was like no we're going to have what was called the notice of proposed rulemaking where we're going to uh you know, propose to do a rule that would limit um you know the, the number of times that lead could be sold and the topics about which a lead could be sold now, they kind of hid the lead in their NPRM. They didn't really tell everyone what they were really planning. Uh, it was kind of like a head fake, but I knew what they were up to. And so I kind of told everybody, hey, look, look out. It, you know, it's going to be a one-to-one -one or maybe even like a direct, like there can't even be an intermediary. There can't even be a lead generator anymore. It has to be right to consumer to the seller. So a third party might be completely wiped out. Um, Reach did a lot of work with the commission to try to get them to understand, you know, lead generators serve value, you know, these, inter these you know, middleman marketers are actually valuable for the consumer, they're valuable for a small business, that like you want to keep these people alive. Um, and so the commission came down with, I mean, you could call it a middle of the ground road position, although I think it's pretty aggressive still. And essentially the rule is you can still have an intermediary, right? The consumer can still get to Wells Fargo through a marketer but it has to be on a one-to-one -one basis, meaning that that marketing, that lead generator, that publisher has to include a single name that the consumer is agreeing to receive just from that company, Wells Fargo, Lend, you know, Loan Depot, Mutual Omaha, whatever it is, and nobody else. Now, you can have multiple names on the form, but the consumer has to check each one individually so that every event of consent is a single event for a single, what they call a seller, right? The good or service provider. And then they have to provide the full consent just like before the express written consent. That's just that single entity. Big change, big change, right? Today, of course, people are getting consent for thousands of people at a time. In the future, once this becomes effective, one at a time, that will be the rule. It, re it reminds me of what Yelp has in place currently where you get to the end of the funnel and there's they give you six options for people who are in your area and you get to click on, or check a box for each one that, that you want to hear quotes from. Do, is, there a, is there going to be a limit on the number of, of uh, let's say, partners that these lead, uh, lead generators like LendingTree can have on the, on the last page? And is there going to be, for example, a check all or select all button that would allow you to consent or allow consumers to consent for all of them? Uh, so I don't know if there's going to be a limit. Uh, you know, the FCC's ruling does not impose a limit. Uh, and I don't think you can imply a limit from anything in the in the ruling. Uh, I think there's a practical limitation that, you know, a consumer probably doesn't want to have to scroll through 150 names to get down to the bottom submit form. Um, now, there is going to be a, a, the option for select all button. Like, you can do that. But it can't be like, you know, people want to do the big select all to get the best quote, right? And then like underneath, like select one by one, very small, okay. and go to a different page. No, no dark patterns, okay? You can't trick consumers or dupe them or drive them uh, into selecting all. Uh, but you can have like a little modest select all button, you know, like you would see in lots of circumstances, you know, select all toggles, it's a little bit more efficient. You can do that. You can do that. 
but the consumer has to make that choice and it has to be clear to the consumer that that's what they're doing. And then it has to be select all and then a set just to populate all the checks and then a separate step of, you know, click to accept the disclosure, right? So it would have to be a two-step dance, even if you're selecting all. Uh, but I think in most instances, you would expect a consumer to select exactly which brands they want to hear from or a single brand. So I would, I would, I would expect that the outcome of this would be that there will be fewer, the lead will be sold. You know, consumers will go through an experience that's a little bit, it's better for them, obviously, but the lead is going to be able to be sold, you know, by something like lending tree to fewer partners and the value of, or cost of the lead is going to up to go up. This is something maybe perhaps something outside of your, your general perspective, but how do you think this affects, um, the consumer experience? How, do you think this is an improvement towards a higher conversion? Is this going to be so certainly there's there's drawbacks in that it, they can't market or retarget or remarket these leads to, you know, things that are unrelated. A mortgage lead can't be sold solar or can't be sold to a solar company unless they're opting in for it. How, how do you think this votes for the consumer experience? I think it's a good news, bad news situation, to be honest. Um, I, I think there's good in this and, and of course reach right the big trade organization for the lead generators uh we voted just on friday to not challenge the fcc's ruling because directionally it will cut down on unwanted calls which is which we can all agree is a good thing but there is downside for the consumer as well which is you know today you might get connected with a brand that's a small company that you've never heard of that's a mom and pop that really is committed to that consumer and does a great job for them right but in the future, where there's only essentially a one-to-one -one connection that's going to be capable or, or possible, you know, most publishers, most networks are not going to be having mom and pop shop on that form if you're only going to have three, four, or five, or even maybe just one, right? It's going yeah. to be the big boys that, that you know, that the consumer is likely to have heard of um, and that, you know, you're going to be able to, to be more confident that you're going to be able to sell that into the marketplace with the big boy on there than with the small person, right? So... That's bad for the consumer. Simultaneously, um, it's bad for the small businesses. One, because there's going to be less leads available. Obviously, they are going to become more expensive. That's also a problem. Uh, but then even in the circumstances where the small businesses actually get their name on the form, right? If you've got Wells Fargo, Lending Tree, and you know Bob's Mortgage Company, even if Bob's Mortgage Company is really, really good, you're not going to go with somebody you've never heard of, right? And, and that was one of the nice things about how Lending Tree and others of these you know, lending sites and, and, and other verticals as well operated is they would take a consumer that just had a general interest in something. They really just wanted the best rate. And ultimately the website was agnostic in terms of connecting that consumer with a big company versus a small company. And in many instances, the, the consumer benefited from that. Um, and so I think the market is going to change more broadly, right? Less robocalls, that's good, but less interaction and availability of services for consumers to work with small businesses. I think that's bad. Uh, and that's something that Reach is really kind of pushing on the commission to understand is, is when you start limiting the access of consumers to get to small businesses and vice versa, you really take away a superpower of our economy. Um, you know, there, small businesses in this country exist because of lead generators and performance marketers to a large degree. Uh, and yes, big companies use these services as well, but really the small, it, it's the life's blood of many small businesses. So it's a pretty big deal. This is that's, those are great points. And so this this question is more specific about a, a brand. We work with a lot of real estate and mortgage companies. The first thing I thought of when I saw the TCPA ruling was 
uh, or the FCC ruling, excuse me, is that was Zillow, where Zillow put in place premier, their premier agent program, where they essentially get consent. You go to the website, if you find a property that you like, you, a, a box pops up and you fill out your form. And at the bottom, it gives consent for Zillow and its partners to reach out. So when the premier agent, the way that the premier agent works is that your information is sent to the Zillow contact center where the, a premier agent concierge mm -hmm. reaches out to you. Once they've connected with you via the phone, they transfer you to an agent. If the agent that they were trying to transfer you to you, you to doesn't pick up, they go to the next one. It's a waterfall, you know, and whoever picks up, then Zillow has a referral relationship with that agent. And that's, that's how a lot of their, a lot of their business model works. How does the, the ruling affect something like that where consent is given to Zillow, but not to these agents on a one-to-one -one or, or where the, the consumer is supposed to be giving consent to that agent? Does now that agent not have consent from that, from that uh, consumer? Or does that initial conversation count as an existing business relationship? Can you go into, I know it's, it's pretty deep in the weeds, but I, 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 was, I was curious about your take. Yeah, I think Zillow's in a lot of trouble there. Now, the FCC has blessed in a little footnote what Zillow is doing because it is assuming that Zillow's call is a, quote, live call, meaning that it's not made using regulated technology and therefore falls outside of the whole scope of this um, discussion. But I don't think that's true. I mean, I'd bet you dollars to donuts that Zillow is using either pre-recorded technology for outreach or some form of an auto dialer or something that could be considered an auto dialer. Um, so I... I am concerned about Zillow. I think they're in harm's way uh, and agents that rely on, on these leads. So what's going to happen is let's say that the consent does not comply with the new one-to-one -one rule. Zillow reaches out. Let's assume that they're using an ATDS just for purposes of this discussion. Um, one, their consent is not valid for themselves. Okay. So they're, they've just shot themselves in the foot. Two, when they transfer that to the premier agent, right? The, the agent might end up now stuck in, with liability for the call that was made by Zillow. Now, that shouldn't happen in theory, right? Zillow is not going to be an agent, um, you know, an authorized agent of, of the agent. Now we're using mixing terminology, but from a vicarious liability standpoint, the real estate agent buying that lead should theoretically not be liable. But the courts have been very aggressive in enforcing, you know, vicarious liability in the circumstances where somebody else makes a phone call, but you take the benefit. So it would not shock me if both Zillow is in trouble and then whatever agent has now gone and bought that lead, right? Thinking, hey, why not? It's valid. Um, so so that agent is now on the hook for the original phone call that Zillow made. Plus, if that agent then wants to rely on that lead and make its own outbound calls using regulated technology after the fact, they would definitely be liable for that call as well. Because um, there was no opportunity to obtain and, and they did not obtain express written consent in that process. Uh, so that's not good. Like to me, none of none of these, you know, the premier agent program, really any program where you've got a third party marketer that's making the outbound call and then connecting that consumer with good and service providers, you know, getting their consent over the phone. That entire model is dead uh, unless you're crafting yourself as a broker, which, you know, could be done. But now you're also taking on additional licensing responsibilities in most states. And. Uh, so how would this affect let's let's call if we if we kind of look to a parallel type model where there's a corporate structure where the corporate structure the corporate head office is generating leads through their their domains and websites but they're handing them down to franchises there was an art an article in your blog about uh, whether franchise 
you know, consent for a brand works as consent for a franchise. Can you go into that a little bit more? So if someone goes to a Century 21 website and puts their information in, when does that give permission to or consent to any of the Century 21 agents to reach out on behalf of the brand? Does it have to go to that exact agent or that exact office? Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, first party issues here are a really, really big deal. I don't think the FCC thought this through at all. I don't think corporate America really realizes just how bad this is about to get for them. Um, so the franchise model in particular, right? Let, let's uh, you know pick on Century 21, like you raised that, right? Let's assume these are franchise, I don't know, maybe they're not a franchise model. Let's assume they're a franchise model. So you know the, 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 uh, the good or service to the consumer is not being provided by Century 21, the mothership. It's being provided by Century 21 of Illinois, Century 21, you know, Bob, Century 21 of, of you know, Hoboken, New Jersey, you know, whatever it is. They're the ones that are actually the broker. They're serving as the, you know, the, the broker on or the agent on the transaction to help that consumer, not Century 21, the mothership. They're just licensing, you know, whatever they're doing. Um, so in that instance, I believe, right, based upon the way the reg is written, you would actually have to get consent for Bob's. Century 21 of Hoboken, New Jersey, you can't just get Century 21 and then hand that off to all the franchises. That's not correct because technically Century 21 is not providing any good or service to the consumer, only that the franchise is. Uh, and that's true, you know, not just for a franchise model, which again, that's a big deal for franchises, but it's also true for really any large conglomerate institution. I've been picking on Wells Fargo here. I mean, it's true for everybody, not for Wells Fargo, but Wells Fargo, for instance, um, you know, they've got their, their big, you know, Wells Fargo holdings or whatever it is, Wells Fargo Bank NA, you know, I, they, they've got their, their mothership. And then underneath that, they've got Wells Fargo Financial. They've got all these kind of different Wells Fargo mortgage. Um, at least they, you know, traditionally, I don't know. I haven't looked at their corporate structure in a while, but you know, they've got the different specific operating companies that provide the specific services, you know, in today's environment, you go to wellsfargo.com, you accept, you know, to receive calls from Wells Fargo NA and all of its, uh, you know, affiliates and subsidiaries. And that's fine today. That's fine, right? The consumer knows they're signing up to hear from a brand and whatever brand is going to provide that specific lending product that they want. They don't care which Wells Fargo it is. Like they don't care, right? But it doesn't matter if they care or not because the FCC just said, no, 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 no. You have to get the disclosure for the specific entity that is providing the specific service that, that consumer is looking for. And it has to be done on a one-to-one -one basis. So it can't be Wells Fargo and every one of its little you know, conglomerate um, entities, it has to be the specific Wells Fargo sub entity that is going to provide that good or service. And that's a huge, just massive, massive change in the first party space. And and this is a little bit, again, a little bit deeper than maybe we, we, we should go, but I'm going to go there anyway. If let's say, let's use Wells Fargo as an example, and someone's filled out a form and they said that they're interested in learning more about a, a HELOC or, or some kind of personal loan and they, they get the loan, they have an existing business relationship, and now Wells Fargo wants to reach out uh, to that same person and offer them another type of service. Now they want to get them into a, a checking account or they want to talk about annuities or something. Is there, now that they have an existing business relationship, can they, can they use that existing business relationship to get consent for one of their other product lines? So once they have consent for that specific thing, now is it possible to go get consent for one of their other one of their other products probably and the reason i say probably is because the rules around ebr and in the um scope of that consent versus the rules around express written consent and the scope of that consent are different 
So as I just explained, under the new one-to-one rule, under express written consent, and you're calling using regulated technology, there's no wiggle room. It is seller specific, like the entity specific. But when we're talking about EBR, it, there's a little bit more grace given uh, to the brand. So if you've got a relationship with Wells Fargo home mortgage, because you just got your mortgage, right? Um, if it is in the consumer's expectation that a different piece of Wells Fargo might contact you to offer you related services, then Wells Fargo can make that phone call if it's doing so manually. Now, if it's doing so using regulated technology, then you're back over here, right? You can't do that. That would not be legal for a different entity to make that call, even if it's still a Wells Fargo brand. But when you're talking about EBR, you're talking about a manual call, then the answer is probably, yeah, you can cross market still, as long as that's reasonably within the consumer's expectation, which of course is a pretty fuzzy test, right? So, I mean, there's risk there. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the plaintiff's bar has not really gone after that. So I tr uh, personally would not be terribly concerned if I'm Wells Fargo and I'm going to call manually and the consumer is a student loan consumer and I want to offer them a personal loan and they're going to pick up the phone and just call. I think that that's going to be OK. So obviously this is going to affect a lot of the brands that are currently what's well, going to affect brands that are currently generating their own leads through first party data that they're collecting, but it's obviously going to be more, uh, it's going to be more impactful for companies that are buying third party leads. If, if you were advising a brand who's traditionally relied on third party lead generation, what steps are you taking right now to get ahead of the, of this rule going into effect? Well, I think, you know, rule first step is you've got a year before it becomes effective. And it's not necessarily cooked in stone yet. The, the FCC has adopted the rule, so it is a final rule. However, it has reopened the comment period to allow small businesses to weigh in, and the FCC might change or ameliorate the rule in some way based upon what the, what the uh, small businesses say. So if I'm a lead buyer, I'm asking myself, am I a big boy or a small guy, right? If I'm a big boy, then I still might do a comment, but my comment will be focused on the impact of the ruling on other parties, right? But if I'm a small lead buyer, right? I'm a small business. I'm a local, you know, uh, all-state franchise, you know, or, or independent in Rochester, New York or something. I'm going to the FCC right now, today. And I'm saying, dear FCC, if you don't change this rule, I'm going to lose access to 90% of my lead source. I'm going to lose access to 90% of my customers. I'm going to have to pay more and I can barely afford to pay for the leads that I have. Now I'm going to have to pay more for my leads. Uh, you know, I'm going to be boxed out and have to compete on a national level with brands that have billions to spend when I have nothing to spend, right? It's a, it's a real story that people need to be telling the FCC. So that, that's the first piece of advice I would give. If this is going to hurt you and you're a small business, you should be telling the FCC this first. Second, right, if you're a lead buyer, you really need to be talking to your sources now. Now, I'm not telling people to, to make any immediate changes, right? Um, now, if, if people want to make immediate changes, great. But what I'm telling people is you need to start communicating, right? Find your biggest partners, whoever your biggest lead suppliers are, and start communicating to them. Hey, look, we know this is on the horizon. You know, we know that people have different philosophy on this. Our philosophy is this is the law. And we're not going to buy a lead unless it is fully compliant with this lead and start talking or with this rule and start talking through like what levels are you comfortable with and what things are you not comfortable with? Example, um, you know, obviously, if the form has a single name and it's your name and no other name and the consumer clicks a button, 
you're going to be comfortable buying that lead. But if there's four or five, right, how are you going to know that your name was clicked on that? What data points are you going to be provided? What consent records are you going to demand to make sure that you feel comfortable that that consumer actually chose you, actually saw that specific consent, actually clicked on that button at that time, recognizing that, remember, the caller now has the burden of proof, meaning that the caller has to have the full consent record before they make the call. That's mm -hmm. the, another new change that the FCC just made, right? In today's environment or yesterday's environment, right? The lead supplier gets the lead, they keep the form, maybe they have the trusted form or Jurnia certificate, but they don't give it to you as the caller, they just give you the data, right, by, via an API, you make the outbound call, boom, you feel like you're fine. But now you can't do that anymore. Now the FCC says the caller has to have all of that in its possession now, first, before that call gets made. So if I'm a lead buyer, I'm thinking through all of this, right? What data sets do I need? What am I comfortable with in terms of how that's going to display? Am I going to sign up for like a ping post model? Am I going to be willing to do an auction of some kind, what they're calling a pre-ping, a pre right? Where they're pinging before they get to that last page. Are you interested in signing up for that sort of thing, bidding on what's essentially just an opportunity? Or do you just want to pay for a static ranking? I will pay you X dollars to be listed first on all of your forms. Plus, I will pay you X dollars for every lead that you generate or I will pay you X for every lead that you generate, and that's more than my competitors, so put me first, right? There's gonna be, you know, where you rank on, on that last display page is gonna be very valuable in the new world. Uh, right. And so again, as a lead buyer, you've gotta be thinking through all of this. You also have to be incredibly adaptable, um, and I would encourage every lead buyer to, be, to really be working your network, right? This, this market is about to get wild. No one knows how much, right, how much more these leads are gonna cost. In some circles, I'll bet you, out of the gate, it'll be very small. In other verticals and other circles, I think it's going to be very high, right? And no one knows for sure what it's going to look like. So you've got to be adaptable. You've got to be thoughtful. And because now it's a marketplace play, right? It's supply and demand. You've got to have a huge network of people that you're looking at, who you trust, who you think are going to be good, thoughtful, are going to give you good, real supply of leads following your instructions, but will also do it the cheapest, right? So it's really very fascinating. It's like a complete... Yeah, you know, it's like you, you reset the entire game, reset the entire system, and then go, right? You're going to just start all over again. And those who are innovative, have big networks, are flexible, are adaptable, are communicative. And, you know, I'm describing 90% of the industry, which is pretty cool, right? These yeah. folks are so innovative, so entrepreneurial. They're going to do very well. But those that are, you know, fixed in cement, stuck to the status quo, don't want to believe change is coming, they're going to get just destroyed. They're, they're going to get destroyed. And do you think this... Do you think people, some people double down on first party data? So we're, we don't want to play with, with any partners anymore. We, we don't want to risk any of this. Let's just go, let's just see what we can do on our own and, and generate our own leads. I think there's going to be some motion toward that, but I, I think, you know, most of the major brands and uh, you know, most of my clients are big brands that, are, that do buying, yeah. you know, they've all kind of landed at the same thing, which is, you know, we decided long ago that we're not good at this. And these other, this, there's a whole industry that is good at this and nothing has changed from that equation, right? Yeah. The, you know, the under the underlying fundamentals of, you know, we make loan products, we don't do advertising, right? We offer insurance, we don't do digital marketing, right? Like that, that hasn't changed, right? So the, the brands still understand that their core competencies are their core competencies. They want to look to still the lead generation industry to do what it's good at, the performance marketers to do what they're good at. There's value there at any size, at any scale, period. But 
they are going to need to know that you guys, right, the folks that are supplying the leads are going to be following the rules because as you guys know, right, these are many times these are highly regulated institutions. These are big businesses. They take compliance very seriously. They want compliant leads. They do. They want that. Don't, there's a lot of folks out there, I think that kind of put their head in their sand. They're like, oh, buyers won't care. You're crazy. Buyers care, right? Don't even try it. And, and I'll tell you right now, don't even try to sell to any of my clients because I find out you're selling my clients stuff that doesn't comply. I'm going to be pissed and we're going to go after you. Yeah, that, uh, that's a that's a good insurance policy. Uh, well, I, I, we appreciate you coming on so much. Uh, you said a lot. You said a lot of um, a lot of great insights that I think are going to be valuable to to our listeners. So we appreciate you coming on. Everybody who uh, is listening, please visit the TCPA world uh, tcpaworld.com. Uh, you could just Google <laughs> uh, the czar or the TCPA czar, and it'll it, you'll you'll land right on top. Uh, and so go check it out. Thank you so much for, for being on with us. And thank you for all that you do for our, our performance marketing community. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. And thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you.